welcome to Splinters of Jade's uh, quarterly podcast, New 5R versus Old 5R. Today with me is my usual host, Buell Richardson. Hey. And uh, I almost called you Ono Spooky because that's how I see your name all the time. Um, <laughs> Robert Denton III is also with us, and we're here to discuss the Lion Clan. So, Robert, go ahead and introduce yourself for anybody who... I don't know who wouldn't know you at this point, but just just in oh, case geez. you want. And- <laughs> well, uh, like, at least in the L five R sphere. Yeah, I guess that's well. I guess that depends. Uh, I'm yeah. uh, Robert Denton the third. I am a contributing author on the Legend of the Five Ring series. I write for the role playing game. I've written over eighty short fictions between. Uh, when the property was owned by Alderac Entertainment Group and to today under Fantasy Flight Games. And I wrote the uh, novel- the Phoenix Clan novella, The Sword and the Spirits, and most recently, the Lion Clan novella, Deathseeker, which you can find in The Great Clans of Rokugan, Volume 1 and Volume 2, respectively. And I res- basically, I think I did like flavor text for a billion cards uh, <laughs> I did a little bit of uh, yeah. contributions here and there just throughout L5R history, starting from 2011 onward. And I'm a, and I'm a big L5R yeah. dork. <laughs> yep. I, I think most of us on this, like, you're either a big L5R dork or you not. Like, it's kind of the weird thing about this fandom. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> that is so true. It's like, I know I started... Uh, in L5R with the CCG back in the 90s. Yeah, and, and I, I basically started when uh, about when FFG purchased the license. Uh, that's some pretty so that's drastically different I, yeah, entry points for the two of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is. is. <laughs> just, um, which is part of the reason why we decided to do a old 5R versus a new 5R just to show the yeah. viewpoints of, okay, this is what I saw when I was playing the mm-hmm. CCG, then I got into the RPG, and as I've gone through, my yeah. friend's like, hey, well, here's what's going, what happened when I got in with the LCG RPG. Mm-hmm. Pitting them together in now a get you. Yeah, well. <laughs> I got in at uh, uh, This is edition. our most popular show. <laughs> This oh, is yeah? the, our most popular show on on the thing. So it's like, if I was smart, I'd be doing this like this more than the actual Splinters of Jade podcast actual play. <laughs> I've said uh, this before on the show. It's like so the numbers like, don't uh, lie. Folks want to folks want to like, get hot takes about editions, right? The edition wars or what everyone likes. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's it. That's it. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, speaking of hot takes, let's talk about the lion, who happened to be my least favorite clan and the clan I know least about. You know uh, that kind of tracks with. Um, of course, I don't, I'm not privy to numbers anymore, but under AEG, the two least popular clans in terms of like starter sales in the ccg was lion and phoenix uh during the era in which i was around so like those are the two least played least represented clans in terms of like people who played the game so and i i have my own theories about that but 
maybe maybe now it's not the time to bring all that up. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. that's just part. Of, I'll say that's part of what our this is is we talk about it, we have the theories and stuff. As I know, when I was playing back in the the I should say when I started playing, it was one way. Now it's different. Mm. But I saw I saw a fair number of lion players during my uh, initial times. Well, like I said that was in back in the way in the nineties. I actually started in Imperial Edition. Yes, I'm, I know. It, uh, I'm, uh, lion was pretty <laughs> competitive back then, right? Like, oh yeah, <laughs> it was it was yeah. really competitive. Though so I know for me the one tournament that I went to that I actually placed very well with, well in, I was playing crap, but I was a honor running crap. Yeah. Which, which the lion players were like, huh? Actually, everyone was like, huh? <laughs> Anyways. So just on this, the, the statistics for the largest uh, L5R fan ser- server for discord Lion is the second lowest, only coming just about 14 uh, registered users online. I, I don't know if this is online or actual registered uh, clan members above the Mantis. So, yeah, that it is makes still pretty low. That tracks. That yeah, tracks. And the Scorpion um, and Crane are the tied for the highest right now member wise or registered clan members i should say yeah of course it does seem like, like some folks like to rotate through them <laughs> oh yeah absolutely absolutely yeah it yeah. just depends on like the... what's the meta yeah. sometimes yeah 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 you've got the clan loyalists then you have the let's chase the uh the meta and who's who's on top so i can be the best well, you know, I um, like no one ever was. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was cl- pretty clan loyalist when I was playing as a fan back in the day. But once you like, once you start writing, you kind of have to stop being a clan loyalist. You have to kind of like mm-hmm. you have to kind of find what is really cool about any particular clan and how it speaks to you. At least that's how my method is. I have to figure out. This part of the clan is interesting to me, and I'm into that, and it speaks to me in this particular way. And then try to like let that give you the excitement and the energy necessary to to come up with ideas and um, and stuff like that. So hmm. you end up having so, it ends up that being note, that you like all the clans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I was gonna say on that note, what is it about the lion for you? For me, so yeah. Um, for like, I guess it's kind of, for me, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, uh, samurai films like, um, Akira Kurosawa films and things like that. Uh, in fact, we used to watch from the Criterion Collection when I was, uh, when I was, um, in college, basically every week we would sit down and watch like a Kurosawa movie or something like that. And, um, I liked the Lion Clan because they seem to be a classic reinterpretation of uh, of sort of Chanbara themes taken to like the eleventh degree. Uh, I one thing that I always uh, disliked 
was how players uh, tended to typecast them or how the story tended to relegate them into being sort of like the vanilla samurai clan. Uh, when when the lion began uh, back in Imperial and like the when the first uh, RPG books came out after uh, the tournament results of the second day of thunder and after all of that uh, back way back then the lion had a lot of distinctness to them and there were some things that only they did and they had kind of these unique facets of uh, of the clan. And then over time, it seemed like a lot of those facets got kind of uh, lost or reinterpreted. Uh, some of them seemed to go away. And then some of the more extreme parts got flanderized. If, if I think I don't have to explain what flanderized means, I hope. Uh, they, get, they got exaggerated, I guess I'll just say. Um, and, uh, and they became sort of the vanilla samurai clan, where it was just like they were the default. And I think in a setting as, as awesome as L5R and unique and fantastical, there should never be a vanilla samurai clan. There should never be a clan that's default. Every clan should have a unique way of looking at things. And every clan should have like, sort of like their own interesting flavor. And which is, which isn't to insult people who like vanilla. I just, you know, it may as well be yeah. French vanilla. You know what I mean? Like it should be, it should be yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. a big thing. So, I guess um, for me, I think the lion, I think the lion are, are really cool in that in their embrace of martial culture, uh, in the way that they sort of echo Kurosawa themes. And then there are like little, little things like the Kitsu, who I think are super awesome, uh, being like, uh being you know calling upon uh, ancestors and giving physical form to spirits and things like that that stuff is awesome uh the matsu family i think they're really cool because i like that uh over the top warrior culture uh kind of aspect to it mm -hmm. the akoma family in the old lore became sort of like the akoto light and in the new lore has restored them to what they were at the beginning of the game way back when, which is to say they were kind of the rogues of the lion. They were kind of the, uh, you know, they were storytellers. They were uh, spies. They were uh, informants. They were lore masters. Uh, and they basically were kind of like the lion who handled things through cleverness and through who bonded uh, the soldiers together. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like that bardish, uh, that bardish identity for the family. Um, so it's it's interesting to me when I look at all that stuff. Uh, I, I to me that's a very interesting cohesive family, or I'm sorry, a, a cohesive clan that has one of the most important things, which is different enough viewpoints that they can either work together, or they can have conflict within each other. And to me, that's the hallmark of an yeah. awesome, interesting clan. Yeah, I, I will say that I really liked uh, I, I so far liked the stories that involve the Lion Clan. Like, I really liked how you wrote Deathseeker, um, a very Akira Kurosawa-esque, as you said. Uh, and uh, the way Evan Dickin portrayed the Lion Clan in uh, the, To Chart the Clouds, though I don't remember much of the names of the characters. I really liked how... <laughs> 
he 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 did really well portraying all the clans and and families involved in that that story like and without making any of the because i'll probably reiterate this more in the scorpion book but he actually wrote a good player character scorpion mm. uh, but yeah and he wrote a good uh lion clan like uh player character that wants to work with the group uh but yeah uh so speaking of uh the origins let's let's go on to the origins of the 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 lion clan um now we all know the story the kami fell to earth gathered followers um i actually don't know much about what a koto did except for i think a mountain fell on him at one point and he died from that so that's all I remember from the Lion Clan's origin. <laughs> so like, the oh, and Lady um, Matsu was like a bandit. Yeah, that was it. So like, um, should we? I guess we we re- we recount the new lore, right? We don't recount the old because there is some differences between the two. Uh, we, we we do we both. Do both. <laughs> we do both. This is ah, we're comparing okay. and contrasting the Here. old lore and the new lore. So we do both. Okay. So let's start with the old lore first. Let's go. This is yeah. So I guess. Do you want me to? Do you want me to fill that in or? Yeah, because I since you're Lord knows I you're more up on that. (laughs) Oh, I could talk about Uh, my my hours. My my first edition books are buried. Oh no. A lot of my books are buried right now. I have very little room in my small living area. So and I just keep accumulating more books. And I know I shouldn't, but I, I, I can't help myself. Relatable. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I have little towers of books throughout my house. And <laughs> yeah, it's funny how they just seem to multiply. I know. Like, I, they're like rabbits. <laughs> So um okay so go ahead the, anyway. uh, Robert or Bobby would you like do you mind me so calling you Bobby or, the or- Just- Oh yeah Bobby's fine Okay cool cool So um the uh the origins of the lion uh so you had you had talked about how the kami had fallen um Okoto like all the siblings they fall away from each other uh so in the original story uh, if I if I remember correctly, uh, Okoto was the first uh, is the first sibling that Hante finds when he's going to like look for all of his um, siblings and try to like gather them back together. Okoto's the first one that he finds. Uh, in my head canon, I don't think I don't think this is official lore, but in my head canon, there ought to be then. Folklore about the traveling companions Hante and Okoto going throughout the empire yeah. and just having their – because to me, that's that's naturally something that would happen. So when it's like, what was Okoto doing? I think he was adventuring with Hante and maybe he was being – maybe he's the hothead that Hante has to kind of uh, soothe and uh, – and give like rationality to, and maybe he's the one that has to push Hante uh, to take risks and to and to try 
um, you know, to, to put his best foot forward and to remind him of where he came from. And so uh, eventually the, uh, the siblings come together. They have the Celestial Tournament. Uh, Okoto nearly defeats Hante, but at the very, very end of the tournament, uh, Hante pulls the win out by revealing Okoto's weakness. I don't, we won't go into details, but um, there is a prophecy that is uttered. Tagashi says that when falls the last Okoto, so falls the last Hante. So uh, Okoto, when he decides to put his clan together, his his whole thought process is, well, I'm only, I'm only going to get, I'm only going to get people who rock. I'm not going to, not just anyone can join my clan. If we have to found clans, my clan is going to be the awesome clan filled with the coolest people. Uh, And the way I'm going to determine that is they're going to fight me. And that's how I'm going to know. That's how I'm going to know. And so there was, um, he went throughout uh, the empire, um, basically testing warriors. Uh, Actually, so the first one of the first winter courts, he when he came back to court and everyone's got all these, you know, everyone's got all of these uh, these people. They're forming their clans. Right. So all the there are all of these uh, representatives here and the clans are getting bigger. But Okoto only has a handful. He doesn't have that many. And uh, Hante, as a joke, says that Okoto is a lion without a pride. And Okoto says, well, a lion does not stand with sheep. So that just gives you an idea of who he was. <laughs> he's, he's like, I just yeah. want cool, cool folks. People who are going to kick ass. Yeah, it seems like he was ass. hanging out with a coma a little bit too long. <laughs> yeah, well, he want, that's what he wanted. He wanted to be like, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to have uh, the best warriors, the best fighters. While this yeah, is going on, best. While, while this is going on, word reaches him eventually uh of this warrior who is uh she has put up a dojo and she's teaching students and she's just this um she's basically can't be defeated and he's like oh well that's someone i want in my clan and so he goes to challenge her that of course turns out to be matsu uh and you know he's really impressed by her but she does not want to follow any clan in the old lore, it was more that she was a very independent person and of and and didn't want to bow to any lord. She thought she should be leader. Um, the old lore honestly doesn't really treat Matsu with a lot of respect, like it does and it doesn't. It's um, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of like the uh, it's kind of like the how she's portrayed in the story when she duels Kakita. That's kind of like. She's kind of there to lose a lot in the old lore. The new lore, I think, treats her a little bit more kindly and maybe contextualizes who she was. In the new lore, she was a bandit lord that reformed. She had a crisis of conscience and decided she wasn't going to do banditry anymore. And she founds this dojo and former bandits uh, come to like challenge her and she basically just like kills them. And her whole thing is that she just doesn't like lords she doesn't like uh, having to follow orders and things like that because she sees them as corrupt. So when a Kodok shows up, here's another corrupt lord. Here's another jerk that wants everybody to do what he to, to follow his way. And so she uh, 
she duels him uh, over the right to um, like whether or not she would join the clan because she's basically uh, she doesn't want to do it. And in the old lore, Okoto manages to pull off the win. In the new lore, Okoto loses. Matsu actually beats him. But then she joins the clan anyway because in fighting him, she learns to respect him. She realizes that uh, – I guess the idea is that someone only really reveals who they are if they're in danger. That's how you actually test someone's uh, morals – because really, virtues are, are are sort of like you're sacrificing a personal gain or, or something that's easy for a more difficult path because it's right, because the greater good is better than the immediate gain. So seeing what virtues you hold to in battle reveals who you are as a person. So Okoto recognizes that she's a mensch, and she recognizes that he's a mensch, and, they, uh, and, and she changes her mind and decides to join him. Uh, and really, mm-hmm. the history of the lion is about the two of them. Uh, yeah. Where it's um, Okoto and Okoto and Matsu in a constant tug of war for the future of the clan and the identity uh, of who the lion would be. And really, that just continues on into the modern day, uh, where you have the Okoto wanting to take a measured approach at everything, and the Matsu basically doing as they please. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, like one of my um, one of, one of my dream ahead. characters is a Matsu a death seeker uh, after the the betrayal of Ikoma Ujiaki during at the end of the uh, old new five or lore. Basically, yeah. it, it, it would take place after that. But they're like uh, trying to you, take the death seekers oath to atone for the betrayal that that they feel they did by joining Ujiaki. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's one of good, my dream that, characters. I don't know example. if I'll ever that, that that's uh, that's like it would be a Matsu berserker just because I like the Matsu berserkers. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the Norse in me that likes the berserkers. It's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, but They're definitely a of, contrast uh, from the uh, from the crab berserkers. Like you know, you got the, the fiery oh, yeah. Matsu berserkers, and then you've got the dead eye crab that are utterly silent. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely difference. <laughs> yeah, I was actually kind of hoping for like a like a crab berserker in the lion book, but oh well. Uh, yeah, I I am uh, or, or I've something got like. Some... Go ahead. Uh, I, I don't remember what I was about to say. Sorry, continue. Oh, you were saying that you would, um, you were hoping for like crab berserker in the in the uh, in the lion. Book. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what I was going to say after that. That's it. I, I, I think the crab commander is okay, or whatever it was called, battle leader. Yeah. I know the new, I, the new, the new uh, Edge and FFG were trying not to use the same school name for all the schools. So that's going to be a challenge yeah. eventually, though. <laughs> like, as <stuff> is, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's like, oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of that depends on how long things go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they've uh, announced. Anyways, uh, I mean, the unicorn book, at least, was announced by Sam Stewart in an interview. That was a long time ago. So there hasn't been an official yeah. announcement, but he uh, did say that that was being worked on. 
I would also like to complain that uh, other Asmodee subsidiaries have announced the Tomb of Uchiban remake for Adventures in Rokugan before Edge Entertainment has, but that's beside the point. <laughs> has Edge Entertainment actually uh, said anything yet? Or are they, has there still I have don't they not, remember them no saying anything. I guess. There has been, okay, so Aconite on a Facebook post promoting the Heart of a Uchiban novel said, get it before the adventure comes out and read it for the, to get because the adventure is coming out soon. I remember uh, seeing e- that. And, I remember seeing have, that. Yeah. And then uh, it was either Asmodee's head or maybe could have been Edge's head in Europe. And this was a translated post talking about how they're releasing the uh, the Tomb of remaking the Tomb of Yuchiban. Yeah, okay. he's he's just gonna mute himself. And it's, I know you mentioned that in the old five R, that uh, um, Matsu was <clears throat> pretty much the the typical at the time frame women can't win, blah blah blah. That's not really how I saw the the battle between Okoto and I and Matsu. Is Matsu was like, I don't want to. As you said, I don't want to join with all this. And Akoto's wanting because hey, this is the best swordswoman. Yeah, this is the best swordsman. How do I put it? In Rokugan, I want them part of my clan. Yeah, the clan I'm building. I want her to be there because right. she is the best. Which deviates from the oh she's a woman therefore well i'm not i'm not saying it's because i'm saying that generally the previous lord treated her unkindly like she she's um generally she's just kind of treated like she's a one note character one dimensional uh her her deal is being angry and uh losing (laughs) uh um there was Which a honestly, lot of I feel like that kind of happened a lot in the um, to the lion in general, because a lot of times the yeah. lion it seemed were just kind of treated unfairly in the old lore, because uh, they existed to lose uh, a battle to, to they kind of had oh what's that, what was that called, wharf syndrome, where everyone talks oh, about how yeah. strong and awesome you are, but then your job is to lose to the stronger <laughs> enemies so that we know what the stakes are. Am I being yeah. unfair? Am I being unfair no, by saying that? I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I won't mean, say you're they, being they unfair. Did. I'm not sure if I would fully agree with the the ideology of the lion. <clears throat> but yes, most of what I, from my, my perspective, the lion were in the L5R basically almost a one-trick pony. It's mm. like, they are the military might, so they are the best army well they got beat by this army oh they're the best <laughs> army for this and they got beat by this army <laughs> it's yeah it is it's 
I know if you take the different families, like the Kodo being the tacticians, supposed to be the best at creating up battle plans, uh, do anything. The Matsu being the, the strong warriors, they'll go out there and they'll defeat the enemies because they've got the Kodo telling them the best plans and then they use their military might. The Akoma taking the stories and the histories and just embellishing to give the lion that we are great, we will do this, and basically giving them the uh, the pep talks. Yeah. To give, the, give them their the, morale uh, up, so it's good. Then the Kitsu. And also in... And also a new yeah. five are giving them the information about the enemy. Yeah. Well, in the, that's how it was for a while in the old lore until, um, until like that kind of changed. Yeah. There was a, there yeah, was yeah. a part, there was a part of time where L five R very briefly was, uh, a part of wizards of the coast. And that began mm-hmm. sort of the vanillatization of all of the great clans, a lot of I- clan identities lost their nuance starting in that era, and then things just don't I remind mean, me. When, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why certain books uh, shall not be named on our um, mm-hmm. on our podcast. We generally put uh, lore from that era. I say our podcast. I I'm on a podcast called The Last Province, where we talk about lore and RPG stuff, and we we tend yeah. to rank the reliability uh, of canon in the different books. And we do books from that era. We tend to put generally lower unless their information is reiterated later. Um, I yeah. don't know. I'm. It sounds complex when I say it now, but I, I promise you, it made sense to us at the time to do it that way. Oh yeah, still not as complex as the canon levels in uh, Legends uh, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The thing is, for for perspective of an old five R and new five R player, yeah, it's it's not really complex when if it is something you enjoy <clears throat> reading, learning about. Just looking at the lore. Because that's one of the big things for me. I have always been a lore junkie. Yeah, I may I read so much that a lot of things blur together a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But knowing, having that desire, and then, oh, hey, here's some group that are talking about the lore and the differences. And, well, okay, here's the stuff that is actually canonized. Oh wait, you've got this time frame where they keep doing things that are weird. <laughs> Why did they do that? Why they mm-hmm. go into left field where everyone's going right? Story choices. It, Sometimes. Yeah, it yeah, it's all understandable on that. So I don't think it's too complicated mm-hmm. unless you're someone's like, uh, I just like playing the game. I don't care about lore. Yeah. Then yeah, it could be considered too complicated because Here's a bunch of information. Mm-hmm. When we were um, speaking to the vanillatization um, near the end of the AEG run, I want to say this was might have been 2014. It might have been 2013, but Fred Wan, who uh, basically took me under his wing and taught me everything. Um, I, I dare say if we're talking about old L5R lore, there's no one who knows more than him. 
Fred Wan is absolutely the expert. And uh, uh, he uh, he was he had this plan. He was the continuity editor at the time under uh, AEG. And he had some things that he wanted to do. One of them was to try and like restore the idea that the lion were competent at their areas of expertise, uh, which was uh, something that had kind of uh, been fa- – had fallen by the wayside, uh, it seemed, at least based on what was posted online and the general size of the player base. So um, we we ended up coming up with the storyline where the scorpion champion at the time uh, is planning uh, a move against the lion – and his underlings misunderstood and openly challenged the lion's honor so that they uh, would retaliate. And they were able, the lion were able to successfully lobby for the right to have a temporary war against the scorpion. And the scorpion, uh, you know, their shtick is wheels within wheels. They have lots of plans. They're always kind of like thinking one step ahead and they set traps and things like that. Yeah. So the diplomats that did this, that accomplished this, uh, in court, they're like, oh, no, OK, well, I guess we'll defend ourselves. And they go back to their champion and say, my lord, we've done it. We've we've provoked the lion into attacking the scorpion. What's the next phase of the plan? And the and the champion, the scorpion champion says, are you insane? Why would you do that? That was not the plan. We don't want to, you don't want to fight the lion in an open war. Are you suicidal? What are you doing? You dummies. And, you know, they're just like, oh, we thought we thought. So it was literally like. Uh, one of the only lore examples of the scorpions uh, miscalculating, which had had not been done mm-hmm. very often, and then uh, it led to uh, I think a bit like basically a off because it because ha- it wasn't it wasn't done by pl- players, so it ended up being an off screen victory for the lion. That was kind of the policy back then was. Uh, if it was something that players directly impacted, we should show it. And if it's something that players didn't have a lot of say in, it could be resolved off screen if we wished. Because um, there was only so much bandwidth. You know, we have uh, 52 pages. fictions a year yeah. and uh, 380 story prizes. And how do you fit them all? And anyway. I'm sorry. I'm giving my yeah. myself. Um, I'm giving myself the shakes just thinking about. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, anyway, um, and yes, AEG had the L5R from '95 to 2015. Yep, that makes sense. Yep. I remember because 2015 was one of the worst years of my life. <laughs> oh yeah. Is that Even oversharing? Two years. <laughs> Hmm? No, 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 I don't think so. Uh, Even compared to what? That's not oversharing. If you'd like me to cut it, I can cut it. Uh, I was comparing, comparing to the last few years. I mean... Oh, the, the was... one year that's been nonstop since 2020? No, yeah, 2015 exactly. was... <laughs> yeah. No, 2015 okay. was tough. Um, that was the year yeah. I lost my day job and decided I would be writing and graphic design full time, and then they sold L5R. So I was basically down to having like no income. Enough time yeah. has passed that I don't uh, mind talking about it, but that was a dark time for the rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's understandable. <laughs> uh, so would we like to move on to families or 
um, like specific families in the lion, the, the, at least the yeah. four great families in the lion. I'm cool uh, with that. Let's start with, yeah, let's start with the Okoto. So the different, so my, my issue was, is like, in the story, the in, in, in Old 5R, because I, I know a bit about Old 5R, we, we played a little bit. The Akoda were disbanded, but not officially in the RPG were they ever really disbanded. Oh, I mean, you can always the, play um, in Akoda. That's because the... Um, so in the first edition RPG, way back when, uh, was mm-hmm. set before the Scorpion Clan coup. And that was okay. that was the thing that caused the Okoto to be disbanded. Like in the old lore, yeah. uh, in the old lore, showed you um, the 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 Scorpion Clan coup unfolds a little differently than it did under FFG. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, Okoto uh, Totori was the only one that showed you identified as being able to like really unite the clans and defeat his strategy. So he had a Kodo Tatori uh, poisoned, but uh, the geisha who did it liked Tatori uh, and um, only gave him a little bit of poison, <laughs> like not enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Basically so, enough to make him sick, so he couldn't do be there when he needed to, and therefore yeah. losing face. Exactly. So then. Um, so of course it's still the battle still doesn't go Shoju's way, and when Tatori wakes up, uh, he 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 battles his way to the throne room and he fights Shoju, and uh, actually uh, they their fight uh, cracks the throne, um, and then uh, when when Shoju uh, uh, dies when Tatori kills him. Tatori declares himself because he knows, oh, someone's got to unite everybody. There can't be a power vacuum here. So he declares himself emperor because he assumes that the imperial heir is dead. And literally at that point, the phoenix show up with the imperial heir. So Tatori immediately withdraws. He says, nope, never mind. I'm not the emperor. That guy is. And he ends up being lectured by the 12-year-old heir (laughs) uh, because the 12-year-old heir is like very – it basically is like we're gonna I'm gonna ban all the scorpions. The scorpion are gone. I'm disbanding the entire clan. Get out mm-hmm. of my empire uh for what you've done. And Tatori actually speaks on behalf of the scorpion. He says, Hey, they were just following their champion's orders. I beg you to reconsider. And the 12-year-old emperor's like, Oh yeah? Well, how about this? You're not an Akoto anymore. You're a Ronin now. And, and in fact, all Akoto are Ronin now. How about that? How you like that? And they did not like it. Uh and anyway. So that's how that yeah. happened in the it's old war. It's almost like 12-year-olds shouldn't be in charge. Yeah, and especially so, not that that guy. He had kind of a rushed Gempuku too because like when the when the coup yeah. happened, the, the phoenix took him and we're like, okay, we got to make an adult like right now. Uh, have you been studying? And he kind of hadn't and they had to kind of like – so kind of have like yeah. an impromptu Gempuku, a coming of age and everything, whether or not he was ready. I feel bad for him too because he also ends up getting possessed and poisoned and all this other stuff. Uh, but anyway, um, oh, I think yeah. the only Okoto that was, that was and- allowed to keep the Okoto family name was Okoto Kaje because he was beyond reproach. He was an honorable uh, sensei who had taught generations and was had just such a high sterling reputation, which is hilarious because he was a co-lot master. 
in secret. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Dakota Kage. <laughs> oh, man. That's why yeah, everyone we'll was always looking the for co-op. clues in the new lore. Of course, there's like, yeah, except that there was like not, new 5R barely touched the co-lot, which I, yeah. I think uh one of the Daijoji Shin novels and basically a character class in Emerald Empire talks about the Kolot and even in the the Daijoji Shin novel it's not really attributed to the Kolot but it's you're pretty sure it's the Kolot I think the Kolot are I think the Kolot are probably this is tangential to the lion but I think the I think yeah. the Kolot are a very divisive faction a lot of players really love mm-hmm. having the Illuminati in the setting, and a lot of players don't. And I think that probably makes them. I think that probably makes it hesitant to use them for anything official. Yeah. But uh, I like um, them as a RPG villain. I, I don't think I. I don't think having. So. <sighs> You know, I'll get more into this in probably the Scorpion episode and the Colot episode, but you have two factions with massive secret or um, uh, people like webs of spies, and you've got more than two. How do they not? Because all the great yeah, clans, yeah, have you them. got more than two. And then you got yeah, the. Uh, just, then you got the. This adds the, a um, layer of complex complexity to an already complex situation. And I think I that's like, why um, like FFG didn't want to do it. But that's, I like my, the that's a personal opinion. I don't know. Yeah, I like the Colot, but then I'm also um, I like the real world Illuminati. Like I kind of like that conspiracy theory. I don't believe in it, <laughs> but it's amusing to me. I see oh, yeah. conspiracy theories from that era as being kind of like modern folk tales, and so I really I like that. Yeah. I like having them in. I also like having them in L5R, but I prefer the old Colot to what they what what they became under uh Wizards of the Coast. But that perhaps is a something that could be tucked away for the Colot episode. If you want to have me back for the Colot episode, yeah. shoot, I would love <laughs> Sure, sure. Um, um whatever but, we um, get to it. They definitely had know. the best <laughs> they had the best first edition source book. Oh oh yeah. Oh I remember that one now because uh, my friend showed it to me. And it's like it starts off like the first page. Oh, this is all about merchants. Turn the page. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, it is about merchants as a disguise. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. But the um, but uh, yeah, the you know, even the lion have their have their spies, you know. And the Akoma mm-hmm. have a secret a secret group within them and all that stuff. But oh, that's yeah. about the, the Akoma. We're talking about the Akodo right now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like in the modern lore, one of the big Akodo shticks is fostering fellowship. Uh, the, the idea is that they're – is that you form like – you want to form as many warrior bonds – within the clan as possible because ultimately that's what's going to make everyone trustworthy and that's what's going to make everybody mm-hmm. um work together uh it's uh it's uh yeah the book or i guess i should say like the rpg book talks a bit about the 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 idea of the doshin the sparring partner in a dojo being 
not just a casual thing, but a more sacred bond where it's like, this is someone, this is your rival. This is someone who's going to push you. This is someone whose successes are going to fuel your desire to get better. And uh, that's kind of a, that's kind of a trope. Yeah. That's kind of a trope in a lot of um, modern Japanese media, especially if you watch a lot of Mm -hmm. like anime, if you're into like the shonen genre, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of that where it's like every fight is representative of like, philosophical differences and whoever wins the fight wins the argument and then the other person becomes a friend or a rival or something like mm-hmm. that because they kind of see things your way now uh, anyway yeah uh, it I seems like the Okoto kind of embody that Amarant in uh, Final Fantasy 9 where they fight Zidane <laughs> yeah speaking of like very anime I know that's like I mean come on it's a I don't know how old I that think, game is, and I don't want to look it up. <laughs> I think that's. Uh, I think what I'm but, saying yeah. is that the Akoto have shonen protagonist energy. <laughs> yes, I yes. think that's what I'm saying. And um, I guess they are the more anime of clans than most of the other clans. The Phoenix uh, are pretty anime. Oh but. yeah, they're they're pretty anime too. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I guess it depends on the genre. Does the crane have their moments? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they're the more shonen anime of anime. Yeah, they're very shonen decent. genre. The shonen battle manga. Should have ba- shonen yes. battle anime protagonists. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so, then, like, I remember in the old 5R, the, the family, I think, eventually came back. Uh, do you want to talk yeah. about that? Because I know they kind of – yeah, go ahead. I think I want to say um, Okoto Totori restored them when he became emperor. And mm. yeah, I'm pretty sure that's I think he. I think he just restored them. I think he was just like, I'm giving uh, the Okoto back. Yeah, because you got to have them um, in the you got to have them in the game. Yeah, I do believe that's the case as well. Yeah, I, w- I was more commenting like I thought maybe this was just a fourth edition retcon, but the Okoto came were officially returned as a family in order to give the nothing a name, which was kind of weird. I know the nothing was named Okoto. Uh, but the yeah. like actual consequences of that, I don't know were ever elaborated upon because there was a lot of um, I don't think there's a lot of stuff. Man. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the old lore that kind of got um, hand waved or or was never explored. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was hard, well, this is going to sound harsh, but if it was something that marketing thought would was hard to communicate to players or to the, or that wouldn't sell cards it was generally not elaborated upon yeah it's typical for any but, business yeah pretty much uh, yeah yeah let's not get started on that uh anyways uh <laughs> let's move on to the matsu so yeah. we, we mentioned that she, in new 5r she was a bandit leader and then she just realized oh crap i'm actually hurting these poor people 
uh, I'm going to go teach them how to fight <laughs> to defend themselves from people like who I was, is my understanding in New 5R. Yeah, and then uh, she... we can talk about the Death Seeker in this. I think the Death, the what, what is it? Mitsuzo? Well, Death Seekers is, are. Called again? Death Seekers are something that all the families do. It's a controversial yeah, yeah, practice. Absolutely. It's not just the Matsu, but uh, Matsu Kirufu was the um, was the first Kiruf, yeah. uh, Death Seeker, and that's actually lore that has changed. Because yeah, in the old I lore, actually, um, mm-hmm. go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say how I liked the change of the the Death Seekers. I really liked the Death Seeker novel, uh, novella. Sorry. Well, thank you. Um, it was really that. like um, so. This is the way I describe it to to people. Um, it's you're basically there to get that FNG home to get that guy three days from retirement back to his family so he can tell war stories. Uh, to make sure, yeah, the, uh, the, to, to basically you're there to protect, to take on the hard tasks so that uh, a less competent person won't die or a, an old veteran veteran won't die. Yeah. Like your job. Like yeah. Your job as a death seeker, when you've taken the oath in the, in the new lore, uh, your job is to do the most dangerous stuff so that uh, there's no needless waste of uh, of other troops. It's a, basically a very mm-hmm. selfless thing that you're doing. But that also yeah. makes it controversial because, um, for one thing, uh, you're basically severing yourself from your lord mm-hmm. as an asset when you take the Death Seeker oath, and you're yeah. you're kind of like. You're the the idea it's of borderline. wasting a soldier on something dangerous is also like a waste of life. And even though, yeah. um, even though the lion are very war centric and they live a warrior uh, a warrior's philosophy, they're not they're not like they don't they don't devalue or dehumanize their fellow soldiers or each other. If anything, the lion yeah. appreciate. Uh, life all the more so it's it's a very controversial thing and of course no family wants their child to be to say hey i'm a i'm going to be a death seeker no one wants that because death seekers tend to not live that long um no like if i if i was running a game and i like oh there's a some sort of disaster say a fire or an earthquake happened and if the Death Seeker player isn't like the first person on the scene volunteering to like the high risk, go in and go in the burning building and rescue people. Uh, they would definitely lose some points there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know like um, so, yeah. in the old lore, Death Seekers were more uh, modeled after uh, the American idea of a kamikaze fighter. The idea was that they had yeah. been disgraced and in order to keep their family name, uh, they had sworn to die as gloriously as possible in battle. And they basically were shock troops. Their whole deal was that yeah. they were going to um, – that they were basically going to uh, suicide by battle. 
Um, and uh, I think the re I think like the reason that the new lore exists is probably because the old interpretation was a well kind of a simplification and a little insensitive in light of everything. It supports yeah. the I like the stereotype of the honor obsessed Asian and having kind of like yeah. the general suicide related stereotypes and things that FFG has been moving away from. The new invention of the Death Seekers is um, kind of recontextualizes the idea of committing yourself to, uh, you know, to one hundred percent a warrior's path with no diversions. It recontextualizes it in a way that isn't so much of a stereotype like the old one was. Am I making sense? Yeah. Am as I... a person, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. As a person who has constant like, uh, just I, I have to preface this yes i am safe yes i am treating myself yes i have a doctor uh but i do have like consistent suicide ideation uh it's just something that i deal with but it's something i appreciate ffg and asmodee moving away from that uh, as a plot point because i think only one samurai movie like even in a in japan one samurai movie did seppuku good and that was, was Harry Hari Hari Kiri. yeah yes Hari yes, exactly. is a great movie because it was showing um, the sh how actually bad this mentality was yeah like this mentality is a bad thing this adherence to honor this adherence to f uh face is actually bad. It destroys families. Um, yeah. And that, that's, that's one thing that, that that's that. Yeah. So that's, that's my opinion on it. And <laughs> so, I'm, yeah. uh, I'm glad you're, uh, I'm glad you're still with us, by the way. I am also, I've, I've attempted twice in my life and I still have yeah, yeah. I, suicidal I thoughts from time to time. I am okay. Um, mm -hmm. It's never gone though. Yeah. You know, no, no, it's not. No, it's it is never, never gone. gone. And, no. Yeah, no. I say I've I have never attempted, but I've had the thoughts. So, and I think that it is a something that a lot of the quote unquote old nerds may have had aspects with any any group that is ostracized or made fun of and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It is something that they deal with. Mm -hmm. now that gaming and stuff like that is becoming more mainstream <laughs> and more accepted those that are getting into it now don't have as much of that oh i'm i'm an outsider blah 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 instead it's going to other groups i know yeah. what always kept me whenever i was thinking about it was how would my family feel? What would they think? Yeah. What would so? But and it's in going to the aspect of the seppuku. What we see and think of as seppuku as a Western society is a very romanticized. Oh yeah. Ideology, mm -hmm. just like what we see as the samurai. It's a very romanticized oh, yeah. aspect. The, oh, there was, I had to keep this face on, keep, blah, blah. And it's not actually true, 
that's not how it truly was in Jap- Japan. But we as Western see it as, oh, hey, this is this great thing. It's just like when we look at the the knights. Yeah. It's like, oh, knights were chivalrous. Knights were this. Like, no. Yeah. The, the knights knight were humans. shining armor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Basically, they Knight, were just like bastards. everyone else. Like, they were well, most knights were bastards, <laughs> literally. Yeah, it's because but they, they were still fat. came from money. They were, yeah, they came from money. They were often uh, bastard children who would not inherit land. So they basically went around, you know, raping and pillaging people because they could get away with it. Yeah, it's like, uh, the murder hobo was actually a thing in uh, in medieval Europe. The yeah. they had they were lords. Yeah. They could not. They had. They had authority, backed by their families. Um, nobody could do anything about it, and they just did whatever the f- hell they wanted. Heck, they want. Yeah, I agree. Uh, of course, that's yeah, so but the basis of our the basis of our fantasy is the anachronism. Like even Kurosawa movies yeah. were anachronistic, and just like our American yeah. westerns were. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, like cowboys. Don't, don't get me and started always, on, on Cowboys. Yeah. And it's always trying to show everything in the best light to say, hey, look at how great this was. Because it, yeah. it was better than what we have now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, right. <laughs> and so the fact that like yeah. Fantasy Flight is going away from that romanticization into the, hey, this is more in keeping with current day philosophy, current day ideology, I think is a real good thing. Mm. And it, because yeah, it does for people like Bran and you, it shows that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Others understand and we're trying to help everyone. We are becoming more centric to people. Where, and to bring that towards the lion, with the old 5R and the uh, the Matsu and the Berserker going, oh, just go out there and destroy. Yeah. The ideology of a samurai Berserker, the Matsu Berserker, for me, it's, yes, I'm going to do what I can to kill as much of the enemy to save my companions. But the best way to do that is to stay alive. Yeah. Yeah. Just because yeah, exactly. I'm trying to kill them, basically use psychological aspects to basically break their morale, make it where they don't can't fight as hard. But I need to also make sure I stay alive because if I die, mm-hmm. That's more of them that can come at my my companions. Yeah. So I think, um, that's yeah. Uh, when I'm um, go ahead. When I'm writing, one of the things I like to do, I can't remember where I first heard this advice, but they say that when you're when you're designing characters, one of the things you ought to do is ask what uh, what is a what is something that your character is wrong about. Like what is an assumption that <laughs> yes. they have that is incorrect? And that helps you contextualize. Like it helps you figure out uh, the kind of lessons that they're going to learn or how they have to change in order to 
in order to win or how the story will correct them. It kind of helps you shape mm-hmm. their arc just by asking, what's the assumption they're wrong about? Uh, the main character of Death Seeker, Shiemi, she has assumed that uh, being a Death Seeker means she needs to die gloriously for the clan and for others. Uh, the book, I think, is sort of teaching like uh, uh, how she learns that being a Death Seeker isn't so much about that as it is more about what, what you were saying, that it's more that I need to uh, live for others. It's not that I'm there to die for others. It's that I'm there to live for others. The reason yeah. that they're called Death Seekers is because they appear to always be running in that direction. Not because they yeah, actually that was want to die. In, yeah, in New 5R, I think it was mentioned that the Death Seeker was given to them by their enemies, not their friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the title. Yeah. And so they <laughs> were like... like hey, they're always running to the, the most heavy part of the battle, so they must be seeking death. Yeah. No. Actually, they are seeking death. Death of the enemy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so as long as we're talking about um, the Matsu, can oh, I bring okay. up the two cool, like the two things I think are really cool about the family as well, like two other traditions? Oh, absolutely. Please. It. So I like that they have uh, crazy cat ladies in the form of the Matsu Beastmasters. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> um, it is interesting that there are lions in Rokugan, but there are lions in Rokugan. I guess there's no. Yeah. If there lions are zoos, did it, like well, lions could be all did exist in Central Asia until they went extinct. Um, right. I don't remember how they went extinct, but I know that they did interact with. Uh, in Central Asia a lot. Um, and then they basically, and they went extinct, like I think relatively recently, according to Aww. like in the geological time scale, not That's the human time scale, but the geological scale, like maybe, I, I don't remember. I want to say mid 1000s, but don't quote um. me on that. <laughs> I, I know, they, I know um, that's a huge time scale compared to humans, but in the geological time scale, that's like nothing. Right. Uh, so they, I, um, I, I don't, yeah. So yeah, the, um, the Matsu beast masters are kind of cool. It's a tradition where, Oh yeah. Basically the idea is that you are trying to, you are, you're, you're devoted to one of the, uh, last wild herds of lions uh and they happen to like listen to you and do what you say and there's actually a picture in the book of a um of like a uh matsu beast master just hanging out with a bunch of lions like holding a freaking lion cub while nearby lions are cool with it and that would never happen so you know that they're like really in sync there that they're totally cool with the giant cats and giant cats are cool yeah. with them oh yeah uh, <laughs> Well, I this is magical cool. world, so they use some sort of magic. <laughs> well, I think it's just that they um I think it's just uh I think it's just like one of those great mysteries of of the um like in canon, one of the great mysteries is that some some souls the lions just kind of like and some they don't. Like, do you um yeah. 
you know, like the um, the unicorn battle maidens and the idea of the Utaku yeah, blessed steeds. You know, that's based on real yeah. world Celtic folklore that said that only a pure oh, maiden. Not. Yeah. Only pure maidens can ride the back of unicorns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the inspiration I, 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 I for the blessed that. herd and and the matriarchal traditions for the Utaku family <laughs> and all that stuff. How the, yeah. her, how, the uh, how a blessed seed will throw anyone off their back if they're not honorable or not a woman. That's kind yeah. of what that's kind of a this is sort of like the lion clan's version of that in a way in that the lions are kind of just I don't know if they're established to be super intelligent, but we all look at how our cats behave and swing between, wow, you're a really intelligent, majestic creature and you're a total goblin. Just a, <laughs> just a terrible gremlin yeah. thing. So, um, anyway, I just think they're really cool. I like the Beastmasters of the Lion Clan. I like the new Beastmasters better than the old ones because in the old ones, it seemed like there wasn't a a natural agreement between the two. There are a lot of pictures of Matsu Beastmasters with whips and with nets and things like that. And maybe they're oh, trained the lions. Lion tamer trope. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like the, uh, the crab, uh, taskmasters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like the new Beastmasters uh, better where it's just, yeah, I'm yeah. a crazy cat lady and they do what I say. And my cat's just happy to be huge. <laughs> I have an army of just, cats. Yeah. The thing is, and that actually it, it makes a lot more sense for the the world and the the ideologies. It's like because as Bren said, it's a mystical aspect. So mm-hmm. having these women or the beastmasters being able to just be with these large cats and not have to be the task, the taskmaster style fits a lot better with the ideology of, hey, we are in a setting that things like this happen. Just like the way oh, the yeah. Kitsu came about. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, so what was the other the, one, uh, the other tradition? Oh, the other one for me you is the Lion's Pride. Oh, yeah. That, that one's also good. Yeah, I like the Lion's Pride. Like uh, that. That's kind of a unique yeah. thing. I almost consider them to be the Lion Clan's version of Battle Maidens because they function very similarly. Yeah. Uh, way back, mm-hmm. way back when, when Matsu quit being a bandit, a bunch of uh, a bunch of her peers came with her, and some of her handmaidens came with her, and uh, they. Uh, basically kind of like devoted themselves completely to her. And uh, the idea is that the lion's pride are descended from Matsu's companions. They are the, they are like, they follow their devotion to her and their worship of her spirit, of her ancestral spirit. Uh, They are the experts on her life and the things that she accomplished and her philosophy and her fighting techniques and all this other stuff. And they basically are kind of like the power behind the Matsu leadership. Basically, mm-hmm. the idea is that 
a lot of Matsu will retire and be accepted into the Matsu's pride, or some of the younger, really, uh, really prestigious students will be accepted into the Matsu's pride or to the Lion's pride. You can only you're only invited in to this sorority of warriors if you're worthy and if you have the values that they themselves uh that they themselves believe in and because they are considered to be the voice of Matsu in the mortal realm and experts on who she is you're not Matsu family daimyo unless they recognize you as such now that's traditionally what ends up happening is that the the lion's pride will say ah yes that person is the leader of the family and they will kneel to them and everyone else in, in the in the family will go, oh, well, if the, if the lion's pride say you are, that's good enough for us. But there have been periods of yeah. time where multiple candidates for the for Matsu clan daimyo, for Matsu family daimyo uh, have been competing and maybe the lion's pride don't recognize any of them or maybe the lion's pride uh, kneel to one, but that's not the one with the big army and, you know, like – there have been points in history where that has created some tension within the family, but generally they're just sort of like the um, they they just sort of represent Matsu's will, and they uh, they're considered to be like the most elite. You can't command them; they show up on their own terms. Uh, if they throw their lot in with a lord, that's usually seen as that lord being more virtue, more virtuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the Matsu family daimyo can give them an order and they can be like, eh, we're not going to do that. And if that happens, that's really yeah. bad for you as a as Matsu family daimyo because it means the the experts on the identity of the clan, the beating heart of our family doesn't agree with you. They're not willing to lay their lives down for you. They're not willing to fight for you. That says a lot, you know? Yeah. So they're a source of great political power within the family despite the fact that they have no actual lordship. Anyway, I find that fascinating. I like that. I like the idea of battle maidens anyway. And to me, that's basically what they are. They're like the lion's version of battle maidens. I I have to imagine they would get along well with the Shiatome. If they weren't constantly at war. (laughs) Uh, Anyways. Well, the unicorn uh, have all these lands that lions are buried in. How dare they? Yeah, so speaking of that, uh, how about we skip the coma for now and talk about the Kitsu? Because we, we were kind of leaning towards that more. Uh, they got mentioned. Talks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they got mentioned quite a bit. And you're talking about the yeah. spiritual soul and the of the Matsu and the Kitsu were like the spiritual soul of the lion. And yeah. how were they like, I, I know how they are in um, uh, uh, New 5R. They're very much like, hey, we communicate with the, our ancestors. We're basically necromancers without being necromancers. <laughs> We're yeah. respectful necromancers. Uh, we don't control the, the spirits of the dead. We ask them for advice and help. Yeah. But we still summon them. We still summon them. <laughs> but for advice and help. Yeah. Well, like that's the that's one of the things that I love about L5R – and it's one of the things that has been the most difficult. I think it's one of the most challenging things about L5R is its magic is based in religious practice. 
And that goes mm-hmm. directly against the instinct to make everything arcane sorcery. So you'll yeah. have a tug of yeah. war where it's like, I always try to go out of my way to show in the fictions I write how, uh, how like uh, a Kitsu spirit caller or an Asawa uh, Shugenja, how they're tra- how they use these rituals and it's a, it's a spiritual thing. They're, they're worshiping the spirits. They're asking them for help. They're borrowing power. that doesn't belong to them. And a lot of writers try to do that, but uh, the temptation to just say, uh, you know, they read a thing off a scroll that casts the spell and who cares where it comes from? That's a very high, that's a very big temptation because there's, there's difficulty. Yeah. There's constraints. We are used to the D and D style of our, everything is arcane sorcery. The Kitsu family is revolved all around veneration of one's ancestors. Uh, mm-hmm. The the idea of worshiping at, uh, our ancestors out of love and devotion and remembering them because the spirits just want their stories told. They just want to be heeded and remembered. And this is this is a responsibility of all of us to remember where we came from. Uh, I think one of the interesting aspects of the Kitsu family is that they're more likely to, to talk about what actually happened, even if it's embarrassing. Because to them, that's what spirits care about. They care about truth and their story being told. And so a Kitsu is more likely to just bring up something and say something that's maybe not so flattering. Their histories don't omit yeah. things like other family histories do. And that's because they, to them, that's part of venerating the people who came before you. And uh, I, I find that kind of fascinating. I think the Kitsu are challenging because it's easier. Well, really, all the Shigenja families are challenging unless they're oh yeah specifically it's, it's like more sorcery kind of. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh... How did yeah, their well, origins it, change between AEG and uh, FFG? Like, yeah. did it well, change a lot? In a the or AEG ahead, origins, they are actually the descendants of the last five Kitsu in Rokugan. They were actually the descendants of a spiritual beings. Like the the Naga are considered and the Nozumi. They were basically quote unquote creatures. Strange they were creatures. lion people, yeah. Yeah. They were actual lion. And so the Kitsu family is descended from the last five of those. And as Robert said, they deal with more of the spirituality, the history of the spiritual nature of the families as opposed to the Akoma's general physical history. So as I said, the, the last five to protect themselves, made themselves look like the rest of the newly or the new people or new beings here. These humans, the center, yeah, the Rokugani. So, where the Naga went to sleep and the Zumi are in their warrens, the Kitsu started to integrate with the Rokugani. 
to basically survive, but still remember the spiritual history about it. And I'm sure Robert will uh, elaborate more on that or even tell me I'm wrong on some stuff. <laughs> no, I think you got it pretty much right, honestly. Like in the old lore, they were um, there was a whole there were a whole group of people, and Okoto and his followers just basically uh, started conquering them. There are some accounts from the old AG era. In the original, I think it was literally, "Hey, these monstrous beings are in the way. Let's just get rid of them." And it wasn't until the very end when Okoto was kind of like, "Wait a minute." Uh, these are these these aren't monsters. These are people. Oh my God! What have I done? No. Um, yeah, these are intelligent beings. Yeah, that I'm killing here. Yeah, and you're like, oh crap! Uh, for some reason, I am horrified by killing oh, no. intelligent beings, even though I have done it my entire life so far. Uh, oh no! I accidentally committed a genocide. Yeah, because he's like, I mean, yeah. Okoto has killed. Up to that point, Okoto has killed and like, you know, when he was looking for his followers and he was killing. The, but anyway, Okoto is horrified with what he's done in the old lore. But then there are some accounts where they mistook them. And then other accounts where it's just like, I don't know, they, that piece of lore has been reinvented over and over again to fit the sensibilities of every time period in which it was reprinted. The the current lore is that Okoto? Which generally yeah, you can I see decided, he mistook like, them. He, he, yeah, yeah, he mistook them for monsters, and it wasn't until one of them actually uh, confronted him. And according to the, um, I think it's the packet that came with the Lion Clan, uh, the Lion Clan pack for the LCG. I think the the lore in that booklet uh, elaborates that Akitsu made it into the command tent and could have attacked anyone there and instead just knocked over uh, all of the pieces on the war table and just stared at Okoto. And that's when Okoto was like, oh, this is the, the, this is a person. <laughs> um, I think the, the RPG uh, basically just says that the Kitsu surrendered. Um and um okay. they also, they also really... say that yeah. yeah they also say that that is uh romanticized history and that there's a lot of that in there <laughs> yeah but that's well, like the they point. um yeah. i'm of i'm of two minds personally i think i understand why they want to soften that because no one wants to be no one wants to play the genocide is good faction so like the the story of no. like oh Okoto did this terrible thing and gets away with it and they're rewarded with a family and they get the magic that they took and like that seems like pro imperialist crap so it's like no we don't want that so I understand that I also at the same time feel like it's a a little controversy and a setting is good for it I think the the frayed oh, yeah. edges of a setting uh, make it more real. And I think it's it allows there to be moral ambiguity. I don't think a setting should constantly be lecturing us on what is or isn't moral. But this is a more complex thing. And I kind of ultimately side with uh, Fantasy Flight's decision to maybe make it a little less uh, harsh. I think there are clearly Kitsu mm -hmm. that are still around that are not a part of the Lion because they've printed some in the card game. I know. Yeah, yeah, they have. 
So yeah, the thing is with AEGs, yeah, Okoto was basically ordered by Han Tai to oh, kill your monsters. Right. You're right. Yeah, you're and right. Yeah, I've got the uh, wiki up, so I'm verifying uh, everything. I'd forgotten well, was, that, but you're ordered, right. Yeah, yeah, he was ordered by Han Tai to kill these monsters. He leads the last battle, and Okoto and the leader of the Kitsu get into a basically a wrestling match because Kitsu's got him in a bear hug, and Han. And Okoto realized, hey, this person, this being is using intelligent tactics. Maybe I, we were wrong about them being monsters. And you know, that does go back to the idea that when you fight someone, you learn who they really are that we were talking yeah. about mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. And, and the thing with... And so Okoto, because of he regretted all those all that battles, the, the genocide that he the complete genocide he almost committed, he would go back to the valley where the last of the Kitsu had held up to atone for his for everything he's done. And it was the last time he came yeah, it was for a year that he was hidden there. In his la- on his last visit, he returns with five men. They are the last of the Kitsu. That Bakota says that his mother turned them human, gave him human form. Yeah. And but he's he did this to atone for his basic killings. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I understand. They say, "Oh, we can't, we, we can't." Um, I have to remember what you said, Robert. But it was, we can't reward this group. We can't be seen as being rewarding this group for committing genocide. And oh, they committed this and they get these. I'm more seeing it as he's getting the kitsu and bringing them into the clan as atonement. He's like, "I have wronged you. I will." bring you in and protect you. Although in exchange, he also, the lion do get something good out of the, out of doing that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they, but, they get the, where the kids who, like I said, they're, they're the spiritual historians. So you can also, you can see it both as good and bad mm. because as you said, the kids who they're like, Hey, this is the shit that happened. This person, yeah, he did this, 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 and good, but this, 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 we're all bad. <laughs> so they're still being reminded of the bad things that have happened. They're not forgetting that, oh, yeah. Oh, no, it's like, oh, yeah, I could have defeated these guys, blah, blah, blah. Everything's great. It's like, no, I could have did this. I throw it to the Hantai, but realize we were just killing a sentient race. This was bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go with a real world analogy. Pol Pot in the Khmer Rouge. Yeah. His ideology 
came about because of the fact that during the Vietnam War, the North Vietnamese would travel to South Vietnam through Cambodia. And the U.S. would bomb the North Vietnamese on this trail that is going through Cambodia. They would bomb them in Cambodia. And at the time, it was almost indiscriminate bombing. Mm. So it wasn't just the North Vietnamese soldiers that were dying, but Cambodian citizens as well. Yep. And Pol Pot, working with the Chinese, were like, we ha- we must go back to a, a culture where we are working working to protect ourselves. We're doing things for each other. Basically, this the communist ideology. But in doing so, he's like, anyone that is intelligent that could see do things better do not fit in our ideology, in our world. Mm. So anyone that was intelligent, they would kill them and their extended family. Because if one person is educated, we need to make sure that that education is stamped out. Mm. Which is sort of what Han Tai was doing unintentionally. Because he thought they were monsters but it's like we have to stamp these out because they don't fit in our societal ideology so yeah it's of course in the in the original lore uh they are there's a forced assimilation when uh amaterasu literally changes them into human beings well i guess their forms become human um yeah but the question comes in is it forced because Amaterasu wants them to be, or is it forced because they say to survive, we want to become like you. So we are not feared. We're right. not targeted. So I think like, you, so it's, I think we can understand then why they had to, they had to change that lore for, for the modern, uh, for the modern retelling then. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, the, we, um, the understanding of the change is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I was going to say the, it's... Um, oh, go ahead. I was say, part of the reason why I'm, I went on with the, uh, the Pol Pot and, and uh, the Khmer Rouge is that culture... So my wife's Cambodian, so mm-hmm. I've been learning a lot more about the culture. I see. And going, shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's... And learning... It's every time I've gone to Cambodia, I go to Angkor uh, Wat, but I've also been to the Killing Fields and Tol Slang mm. and seen the atrocities. And I, seeing these atrocities from my point of view, I can somewhat relate to Kodo in the oh shit, I've just committed all these atrocities. Yeah. Because yeah, I also have military background, so that's why I can relate some. But anyway. It is kind of a uh, the complexity of that. Uh, yeah, like I totally, yeah, I see what you're saying, yeah. So I think, um, okay. 
on that happy note, let's talk about oh, yeah. a, a coma who is a drunk in oh, we, Braggart. Uh, and so we skipped a coma. Oh, go ahead. We went to yeah, we did skip so, a coma. Yeah, let's, yeah. Brain wanted to uh, do that specifically. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that was good because we can end on a high note rather than that very somber um, yeah. somber <laughs> note. Uh, at least hopefully. I agree. I don't know. <laughs> Because a coma, I mean, in from what I remember in New Five R, a coma basically impressed Akoto with his storytelling, and the fact that he could basically take on—he um, was almost like Jackie Chan, like I mean, the real life Jackie Chan, not any of the characters he plays. Like a great storyteller, a great, um, you know, fighter. Uh, well, kind of a mix of both Jackie Chan, and, real Jackie Chan, and uh, at characters of Jackie Chan that Jackie Chan played. Because it's actually really hard to fight a bunch of people at once, as if you watch a Jackie Chan movie all the way to the bloopers at the end and how many times they fuck up. <laughs> right. And and here, like, he takes, like, 80 takes for one fight scene. Or something like that. I just got to, I I get know, to I keep getting hit in the head with the ladder over and over again. Yeah. times till it's right. Um, <laughs> till it's perfect. Yeah, coma, it's got to be perfect. So like remembering or like pointing out who the founders of the families were is important because the family culture tends to emulate the founder. So a coma yes. was uh, – Akoma turned out to be one of Akoto's closest friends, but when they first met, uh, uh, Akoto found him drunk in a sake house, and in <laughs> at least in the new lore, he was the only one who really refused to bow to Akoto. And you know, societies in general tend to give some; uh, they tend to give more allowance to the elderly and to teachers. But Okoto didn't like that he was being wasn't being bowed to, um, so he so he kind of was like uh, threatening Akoma. Hey, you better do you even have a, any clue who I am? Do you know who I am? And then Akoma, of course, is like, Do you know who I am? I did this awesome thing, you know. And it's like you know, and ends up like uh, basically regaling Okoto with all of these outlandish stories that Okoto forgets that he's mad. He's just like, hey, keep keep these coming. This is interesting. What else did you do? He's like, oh, this one time I did this amazing thing. And uh, by the end of the evening, he'd warmed up to him and said, man, I got to keep you around because something tells me I'm going to be glad that you're nearby. And uh, Akoma ends up uh, being giving a source of valuable advice. He's uh, He is kind of an old brawler, kind of an, a scabbed over braggart. But he's also mm-hmm. a great storyteller. He remembers details. He helps Akoto build that fostering of fellowship. And he he's clever. He's seen some things in his time and he knows how to solve problems in, you know, he knows how to like fight smarter, not harder. And so Akoma really yeah. uh, helps provide the mortar that puts the clan together. And to this day, the Akoma family kind of model themselves after him. They're they're historians, they're diplomats, they're scholars. They are the living memory of the lion, and uh, that makes them kind of a complex family. 
Uh, if I were to compare Air. them to old 5R, I think the modern Ecoma are a little bit more complex. Because in old 5R... Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I think the most yeah. complex thing they did was... Uh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, was work with the Shosuro family in keeping the Imperial histories clean. <laughs> yeah. Which I always well, thought was the, a weird combination. There's kind of some... There's it's it makes more sense when you understand that like the thing that I just described is how the Akoma are pretty much described in Way of the Lion first edition way back when, and with each edition the Akoma became less and less like that. They became yeah. more and more like the Akoma. They're they were like or I'm sorry, the Akoto. They became kind of like the Akoto light. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they were yeah, they, they basically did that go ahead yeah yeah i was saying and the original when uh koda met ikoma yeah it was in sake house ikoma was a huge braggart which akoto didn't like as you said because he boasted about ikoma boasted about never being bested and he even called boy to have a son <laughs> and Okoto initially wanted to fight. But Akoma's like, oh, I got this scar from battling this boogeyman. I got this one from this boogeyman. I lost an eye to this. I did. And it was so many, this as you said, so many stories. This creature bit me in this spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like I lost an eye to a Kikita duelist and told with each scar what happened, how he got it. That Okoto was became impressed, yeah, and eventually declined to, declined to fight him. Yeah, it's like I, so, I don't want to tangle Akoma, with you. Look at you; you're like you've got all those scars. You're really awesome at this. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to yeah. fight you. Yeah, but Akoma, the reason he was a pit, pit fighter younger, and of course, he's fighting to to survive. They say I need yeah. money for food. I need food. Let's fight. But also for honor. But he is dedicated to keeping his memory keen and awake, which is why he was able to tell all the stories on how he got every scar. And because of because of all that, all that ability, Okoto was very impressed. And it's like, okay, you will be my advisor. You will be the historian. You will be my right hand. So Ikoma became Okoto's right hand. So, so it is. It is very similar between old and new five R for that. Mm. The starter. I do think that, like the, um, as time passed, like you know. As time passed, some of that fun Akoma flavor kind of went away mm -hmm. under the AEG era. Um, I don't think the bards ever really went away, though. Like the Omadaisu. No. I think they were always yeah. still there. Like that was always kind of a thing. And I think they were trying to bring that back towards the end. At least in fourth edition, uh, they were trying, like from what I read when I was playing fourth edition, just towards the end of the AEG era beginning of ffg era uh they're trying to bring a lot of that back with the akoma 
Like they introduced the Akoma shadows or the lion's shadows is what they call them in uh, the fourth edition. I believe. Well, they, that was a thing in the, um, that was a thing in the, uh, in the previous lore as well. They had been Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, disregarded under wizards of the coast, uh, and kind of just mentioned here and there. They never really went away though. So that's always kind of been a thing. I know when I worked on fourth edition L5R RPG, uh, we had our like favorite, angles for the different clans that we are always trying to push uh rob hobart who was the um who became the lead of the fourth edition rpg um another guy that mentored me while i was uh working on l5r uh rob hobart kind of liked presenting the clans as complex as possible good and bad he wanted to kind of build morally complex factions and so a lot I mm-hmm. like under him, I, I I think you're right. I think there was a lot more uh focus of, hey, we should probably mention that the Acoma are multifaceted. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. so. yeah, being able to do that makes it more relatable to actual people. Yeah. yeah I know that a lot of times we game to get away from it. We want mm-hmm. to live in a world where what we experience and in our normal lives isn't but we want we a want lot of McDonald's times and not feel bad yeah and a lot of times though that being so much distanced from what we know can make it hard to actually role play or to divide Hmm. what's real and what's not but when you get start to okay i can more relate to this so i can see this here's this is the actual what's really happening this here's my character this is i'm this is how i would like to portray him but it's not true and i'm not sure how many of our listeners will remember but D&D used to be called The Devil's Game. Yeah. And yeah, right, yeah, a, yeah. Movie, a movie came out called Mazes and Monsters with Tom Hank. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because Mazes of and Monsters the, is a far out game. Something yeah, like that. Yep. Because of the drastic difference between real life and fantasy, it's like, hey, I want to be this character. It is so much better than real life. He tries to become it. Where when you have things that are related to, it's like, hey, okay, my character has these flaws. Just like I've got these other flaws. So, yeah, I like these aspects, but I don't really want to be my character because of the goods and the bad. I don't want those bad. I want the good. What can I do about bringing that good to my real life? Yeah. So I think that's where a lot of the <clears throat> having that complexity to a, like the clans, the families, the individuals is actually more beneficial than a traditional high fantasy or a romanticized ideology 
So I think that's one of the things that your mentor did right in trying to make very, very realistic families. So like, hey, yeah. yeah, they do all this good stuff, but there's some bad stuff too. So <laughs> yeah, and we um, I think you had mentioned uh earlier about the uh about the um the lion shadow. Mm-hmm. That's definitely still a thing in uh, FFG. Uh, and um, I, I, I GM'd uh, a Winter Court game in 5th edition, and one of my players played as the Nekoma Shadow School, which is available in Courts and Stone. And uh, yeah. I seem to recall... Like eventually, he ended up having he ended up uh, going out on his own against the player character group, and uh, I remember his his character being very annoying for the others to deal with. Like that's a pretty strong school. Yeah, the Como Shadow School in the RPG is pretty good. Specifically, uh, getting having access to crackling laughter in combination with the ability to just re-roll dice by staking honor. Uh, turned out to be pretty darn good. That's uh, <laughs> it's it was pretty pretty potent. I'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, man. Gosh, he was God. It was incredible. Just them chasing him throughout the throughout the courtyard to try to deal with this <laughs> asshole of coma that was just. <laughs> oh no. Uh, anyway. All right. So, but yeah, that's definitely still a thing. Is all I mean to say. So. Okay, so any final thoughts on the lion before we we're getting close to two hours, um, close like twenty minutes away? So mostly, my final thoughts on the lion. Yeah, like my final thoughts on the lion are yes, the the changes between old and new five R have been in a lot of ways interesting. Not everything is, I think, in a good. But not everything's bad. The lion, they're the stereotypical of them being the war, basically the army of Rokugan. But having the complexities makes for a very interesting clan. Not one I would play in any games, but definitely interesting. I think one of the most fascinating things about the lion and the thing that boggles my mind the most, which is why I find it fascinating, is most clans in the empire, the goal is peace. And you see war as a force of chaos, destabilizing. If we're at war, uh, that's a destabilizing force. Things are not as... Then, you know, we can't – things aren't as dependable. There's no order. Order comes from peacetime when we're at peace and, and we're all getting along. That's when, that's when things settle the most. Even the crab, who are probably one of the most warlike clans uh, equal to the lion in terms of like a war, warrior culture, ultimately they're doing this for peace to keep the rest of the empire at peace from the forces of the Shadowlands and in the hopes that one day that war will be over. And uh, even the unicorn 
strive for peace with their ideas about compassion and uh you know they their benefit from assimilation and diplomacy and and all these other sort and opening up borders and and these ideas that they have ultimately every clan especially the crane is always like well peacetime is the is what we're all striving for here it seems to me that the lion are the only clan that see things the opposite way no war brings order because everyone has a job to do a goal to achieve the soldier is not idle they have actual things and orders to follow they're not left to their own devices where they can get distracted where they can fall down a hole of their own uh wants and and needs uh war provides purpose it it fuels uh the unity because when peacetime factions fall apart and they, their disagreements no you're you're fools for thinking that that peace means order peace is chaos war is order and that kind of thought process is so alien to me personally that i find it fascinating that i'm drawn in yeah. imagine playing a character who thinks that way that's a character that honestly i think is complex because it's like it's not that you like killing it's not that you're a living weapon but it is but you do recognize you know we're living a peaceful time that's a dangerous time for me that's a dangerous time for all of us that this is a time of complacency this is a time of distraction oh i long for a time of war when we all had purpose and unity like that kind of thought process is so alien to me I find it fascinating. And to me, I think that's how the lions see the world personally. I can see why that would be a divisive point of view because war is the worst thing that a nation can do. And seeing like an entire clan that's devoted to war, I think people probably would shy away from that. People would probably say, okay, this is a clan I don't want to engage with in terms of the lore. It is my hope that some of the stuff we brought up today makes the lion a little bit more interesting and maybe hopefully we pointed out some things contrasting with the old and the new that show off the mm -hmm. lion as a little bit more unique than than most of us thought in the when we were starting out does that make sense i don't know that was a weird yeah, yes. completion of my thought there but <laughs> it, it makes sense especially from like i said i i spent 20 years in the military and so i understand where you're seeing from the, the two sides that, oh, war is structured, peace is chaos. Mm -hmm. So I, I can see, and I, I agree with you. I full heartedly agree with you on everything. <laughs> All right. I, I don't have Brian? any thoughts. I think, I, I think uh, my uh, opinion of the lion has improved after this. What was that? Oh, sorry. I thought I saw a shadow at my window. That was kind of weird. It's kind of maybe if somebody's and a coma shadow. Probably reading. Maybe. Oh no, they're coming for me. <laughs> my my opinion of they the lion. They want you to has, really give the lion uh, a glowing review right now. Yeah, uh, my opinion of the lion has improved. Uh, so yeah, uh, that, that's basically my thoughts. I I, I do like the new five R. Uh, lore more but that's just me baby because that's what i experienced the most and I, I got to experience it as it was happening i probably have a different opinion if i experienced old 5r as it happened 
but anyways, uh, Bobby, do you have anything you would like to plug? Uh, do I? I'm always shelling. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would really like if you uh, if you want to know more about the line and maybe get a glimpse into that Death Seeker tradition. I'd really like, dear listener, if you would check out my novella Death Seeker, which is in the Great Clouds of Rokugan Volume Two. Uh, I write uh, role playing games. Uh, little indie lo-fi games. My current one is a slice of life fantasy game called Tiny Taverns. You can find that on Drive Through RPG. If you're uh, looking for a change of pace, uh, definitely check it out. And mm-hmm. um, our podcast is The Last Province, uh, where me and my two co-hosts talk about L five R lore and RPG stuff. And we are your stronghold province, so you can check us out at The Last Province. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, I am going to try, I am going to try and get a Patreon going, uh, where I will be offering short fictions, and you get to be my beta reader for some books I'm working on. And if that sounds like cool. something you'd like to uh, check out, uh, the yeah. best way to get notified for that would probably be to follow me on Twitter, assuming Twitter is not on fire. Uh, go to twitter.com uh, and Twitter look up will forever be on Spooky, fire. and that will be me. <laughs> yeah, Twitter will forever be on fire. Did you ever hear the story uh, of the load-bearing Mac Mini from Twitter? Uh, no, or you with, can tell it to me afterwards. Yeah, right, that's a good one. Plug look that up. <laughs> I, I, I probably will. But uh, from uh, all of us, have a nice and safe uh, rest of the quarter. Uh and we'll see us. We'll hear from us next quarter. All right. Bye bye. And, and walk with the fortunes. Bye. Guys. Bye-bye.